CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. The Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are back talking CFL football yet again here today. Mike, how are you? Not too terrible. Didn't myself, dating ourselves out of some snow today, but uh, I'm told that the calendar is to be believed that CFL season is around the corner. Yes. Barring CBA didn't figure it out. Yes, only a couple months away from the CFL preseason getting underway. Of course, free agency starts, uh, well, today's Monday, so a week and a day from today, Mike, right? Tuesday, February 12th? Yeah, Tuesday, February 12th. Uh, Just a note for Winnipeg people, uh, Kyle Walters is scheduled to address the Winnipeg media, and I'm assuming the fans regarding the Bombers free agency uh, prior to free agency on Friday morning. Hopefully we get a flurry of activity coming with uh, free agency. We've had a busy off season so far. And while uh, we really haven't talked about much of the off season news at all, uh, we did take a break for a while. And then the last month there's, uh, we came back beginning of this year, did our 2018 year in review. But then since then uh, we've had scheduling conflicts and uh, stuff like that. So, we're back here. We're going to talk about some of the free agency, some of the coaching news, all that fun stuff that's come out over the past two months of the CFL offseason. And uh, we'll talk about all that, get into maybe a bit of a preview here for what's to come this coming Tuesday. How does that sound, Mike? That sounds great. Before we get into talking all of that, of course, the Canadian Football Countdown is a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. And Mike, we are uh, no longer the newest members of the network because as of this week, we officially have a couple new podcasts uh, joining the group out of Ottawa. And that is the Mouchoir Podcast and the Wood Cookie Sawcast. So two great podcasts. Out of Ottawa, of course, there's the one that's actually based out of Ottawa, which is the Mouchoir podcast. And then there's uh, Rod, who does the Wood Cookie Sawcast uh, out of, uh, he lives in the States. So two different perspectives on the Ottawa Red Blacks. Happy to have them all aboard the network uh, from Mouchoir, Michaela, and Janine, and then Rod from Wood Cookie Sawcast. Uh, You can follow their podcasts on Twitter at Mouchoir Podcast. If you're like me and ha- would have no idea how to spell that just from hearing it, uh, M O U C H O I R podcast, and then uh, for the wood so- wood cookie sawcast, it's at wood cookie cast on Twitter. So follow both of them and follow at CF Pod Network uh, for all of the Canadian Football Podcast Network stuff. Check out our website as well, cfpodnetwork.ca, for all of the great off-season CFL content. So we got a lot of news to talk about, and I was trying to figure out the best way for us to go ahead and break all of this up, Um, because if we just sat here and listed everything out, first of all, I have seven pages of notes um, on CFL transactions from the last two months, and if we did that, this would be about a three-hour podcast, which 
Well, I know people that would listen to a three-hour podcast, but given our time constraints and time of day here, uh, it's best advised to keep it to a regular one hour. So we will do that. And uh, so I broke it up into a couple bigger topics to talk about here, Mike. And given that the Super Bowl was yesterday, why not talk uh, some NFL-related news uh, tied into the CFL here with uh, CFL players that uh, have been released to get NFL opportunities? Absolutely. Uh, before we get into that, uh, how was the Super Bowl yesterday, Mike? Did you fall asleep? I did. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, I was watching at a local establishment with my girlfriend, and let's just say I had more fun in that conversation than the actual football game itself. Um, from the time that I left the establishment, Drove home, was about, oh, late in the third quarter, I want to say, something like that. And I came home to see probably the best part of the football game. But for me, it wasn't exactly, uh, like, people need to understand, I'm a guy that likes offense in football. So the defensive grind them out. Uh, slide them out kind of games don't interest me. Um, but I think it'd be fair to say that the halftime show was rather forgettable. Um, don't even get me started on the halftime show, Mike. But the football game itself was quite frankly a dud. Uh, no offense to the Rams and the Patriots, and I know they trained hard and practiced hard for that game. But the ratings, to me, the television ratings are, I think I read somewhere at an 8- to 10-year low for Super Bowl uh, eyeballs watching the game. And that, I think, spoke to just the quality of the game. Now, that being said, the graduation to New England, I also think that the byproduct of two coaches um, having an extra week to prepare and also one team in New England being more experienced than that of L.A. Rams. And the ability to adapt the game when the coach's headset gets turned off. And now in the NFL, the coach's headset gets turned off at 15 seconds. I don't know what it is in the, in the CFL. I think it's something close to that or if not 10 seconds. Um but a lot of the in-game adjustments that were made from when the coach's headset was turned off won New England the Super Bowl, in my opinion. Yeah, I did not catch the Super Bowl uh, at all. I was uh, enjoying the afternoon at the spa. I was uh, spent the day at Thermia outside in the hot tub. Uh, <laughs> much more enjoyable than sitting through that game, it looked like. Um, got home... <laughs> Spent the evening at home, Did still didn't really keep watching. All of a sudden, I got a text message from my brother asking me, are you watching the Super Bowl? And I said, no. And he said, uh, well, I kind of watched for a little bit. Most boring game I've ever seen. Which uh, <laughs> So that was my experience with the Super Bowl. And of course, I'm like, oh, I wonder what he's talking about. And I look at the score at that point, and it's seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. And it's a 3-3 football game. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy. And don't forget, I mean, LA had a chance to to tie the game late in the game, and they, they throw the interception and tie the New England 20-yard line. But 
Get this. How good was New England yesterday? L.A. did not run an offensive play in the red zone yesterday. That uh, That is pretty impressive. The first red zone play that was run for either team was midway through the third. Midway through the fourth quarter. So overall, if you're a fan of offensive football, you did not get what you wanted yesterday. Uh, we promise you this podcast uh, will not be a dud, or at least we hope so. Uh, we hope to keep your interest throughout. Uh, no, we and uh, no, we will not make any promises to play a sweet victory from SpongeBob at the halftime show and then not do. Oh that. my goodness! No, no, no. I still can't believe they did that, but uh, or didn't do it, rather. Um, but we're not going to play that because, well, copyright. Don't want to get copyright stricken for that. Uh, but if we could, we definitely would. Um, getting into the uh, CFL players headed to the NFL so far, or at least looking for a shot in the NFL, Mike, uh, over the past two months. I'll list them off here for you guys that uh, have been released from their CFL teams for a shot at the NFL. Uh, Starts back in December with uh, Calgary wide receiver Chris Matthews being released. Uh, If you remember, Matthews spent a while with the Seattle Seahawks and had a big game in the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Uh, We're coming back to the CFL. Uh, If I I remember, he was involved in that Super Bowl with the front runner to be the MVP. Until the Seattle Seahawks goofed up at the two-yard line. Right. Yeah. Who won the Super Bowl that year? Brady and the Patriots. Uh, isn't that like every second year? Yeah, it's the <laughs> nine. It's Brady and Belichick sit Super Bowl together in nine attempts. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, more players uh, heading down south for NFL opportunities. Saskatchewan uh, linebacker Samuel Aguavin. Uh, Aguavin really, I think, came on strong as a defensive player last year. I know he was getting a recognition game in and game out. He had a great year. He did, and nobody really knew who he was, uh, unfortunately, until I thought about a halfway into the year when, you know, I started listening to Ryder, um, Saskatchewan Ryder Radio, uh, the sports show there, uh, the sports cage, um, and they were saying, you know, watch Samuel Robin for NFL opportunities. You know, he's being looked at. Uh, that's not that's the name that should not be discounted. That kind of thing. Um, and all of a sudden, that's when I, that was about, I would say, week 10, week 11. I can't quite remember. And all of a sudden, toward the end of the year, I could start to see why he had NFL opportunities. And other guys, uh, so Calgary loses a couple more guys to NFL opportunities. Wide receiver Mark and Michelle, who's, uh, am I correct in understanding this, his brother scored a touchdown in the uh, Super Bowl yesterday? Yeah, his younger brother got the game punch and touchdown, uh, Sonny Michelle, so... Uh... Things are looking pretty good for the Michelle family as Markin gets his chance down south. Uh, defensive lineman Jake Vodders also released by Calgary for NFL opportunities. Uh, so Calgary's got a couple guys going down south uh, potentially here, of course. It remains to be seen who, who stays and who comes back, and maybe we'll get into that a little, in a little bit. Um, looking at the Alberta Rivals, uh, 
defensive lineman Jake Serezna also gets NFL opportunities. Uh, Serezna, if you remember, is the guy who came to Edmonton as part of the three-way Odell Willis trade this past offseason, where uh, Edmonton sent him to Ottawa for Jake Serezna, uh, and then Ottawa shipped him off to BC. So Serezna comes to Edmonton, has a great year there, and now he's headed down south as well. Interesting thing, um, just before you continue to read the, before you continue to read the uh, NFL opportunities for CFL players, it's interesting who gets looked at um, as far as ends up signing NFL opportunity uh, future contracts uh, because the NFL lead year hasn't started. Uh, so those contracts don't necessarily uh, take effect until the new lead year opens. But that being said, everybody makes this big thing about potentially Boley by Mitchell, Sam and Love, and you know those type of guys. And then there's guys like, and I I cannot remember what the story is behind that, but Dan LaFever, as I recall, gets an NFL opportunity with the Blue Bombers, and there's just players, but. You know, and this is no not against them, but they get no discussion for possible NFL opportunities. And here they are signing NFL future contracts. And I think and I believe that it's nothing but a positive for the CFL to have uh, NFL opportunities um, for its players. And to have, you know, I think one of the predominant examples and BC Lion fans would would like this one is uh, Cameron Waite. Exactly. Um, playing predominant roles. Uh, there's also a lot of youth sport players that played university football that goes straight to the NFL. Uh, Dan, uh, what's the name? Uh, he played for U of M. Anyway, the name will the name will come back to me. Uh, not an honest young, but anyway, his name will come back to me. But it's great to see Canadians get a shot in the NFL. There was a time where it was frowned upon for uh, Canadian football players to get a lot in the NFL. And the key word is a lot. A lot of these players will get a lot, but they won't stick. But now I would say, and I don't have the full list in front of me. But I would suggest to you that that list is drawn from maybe in past years two to three players to maybe four to five players to now 11 to 15 to 20 players. Uh, the University of Manitoba graduate you were talking about is David Onyemata. Onyemata, thank you. That's the day. That's the day. I, 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 there was an Aramis, Don Aramis Dion who used to play for Edmonton. He, and Winnipeg. And Winnipeg. That's the guy I was thinking of, and then there was another guy, Amir Mata. Yeah. Um, and, of course, and, it, and you also had Jeff Gray, uh, University of Manitoba Bison as well, who was with the Green Bay Packers, but now is back and will likely have a starting job on the offensive line with the Bombers this year, you would think. Uh, yeah. But exactly what you were saying, we're seeing more and more guys get NFL tryouts here. A lot of them, let's be realistic, and it's no knock on the talent of any of these players, but statistically, year in and year out, a lot of guys will take the shot down south. A lot of them don't end up getting the job down south, and we'll see a lot of these guys back. 
but definitely I think, you know, looking at the odds, the more guys that get NFL opportunities, the more likely there are to be more guys that can get the job down south, right? Right, and here's the other interesting scenario, um, too, is now with this AAF, uh, Alliance of American Football, which is kicking off uh, this weekend, actually, if you want to watch it. It's the weekend of February 9th. It's a 10-week season. Now, all of a sudden, the NFL challenge pool gets cut, and cut to about a, you know, a lot smaller than it is, so maybe they're forced to look in places like the CFL. Yeah, exactly. Uh, continuing along our list here of guys, Mike, uh, or, so January seems to be when a lot of these guys started taking off with opportunities. Uh, so I, the last one I mentioned was Jake Serezna, another guy from Edmonton, defensive back Mercy Maston getting an NFL shot, or at, at least was released by the team to pursue one. Uh, Calgary linebacker Jameer Thurman, Montreal defensive back Tavon Campbell, uh, so a couple more defensive players there all getting a shot down south. Yeah, it's uh, it's a very uh, interesting scenario uh, for uh, CFLers. And to me, it's looking more and more like uh, Bowley by Mitchell going to be staying here. But you just never know. Uh, what do you think, Mike? Offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball. Uh, is there one that's easier, for, like one category that's easier to make it down south, um, or uh, is there really not a difference? Who oh boy. Um, I'm going to say it depends on the team. Every team is different as far as needs, uh, needs uh, and wants. Right. And, of course, with a lot of these guys, what you'll see is them picking up uh, special teams jobs in the NFL, yeah. right, or, yeah. or practice roster spots. And it'll remain to be seen, you know, can they work their way onto the starting offense or the starting defense from there? Uh, now we get into some of the bigger pieces here, Mike, that you and I have talked plenty about over the past couple seasons, um, specifically this season for one of these guys, and that's Edmonton wide receiver Duke Williams is headed to the NFL. I think that was a no-brainer to any of us. Exactly. I mean, he led the CFL in receiving yards this year, was dominant all season long. Uh, so Duke Williams gets an NFL shot, and so does Ottawa wide receiver uh, Deontay Spencer. And I think that's another no-brainer. This is a guy that I could definitely see getting a lot of special, t- you know, some return duty. Uh, in the NFL, if he can land a job there, he's got the speed for it um, and maybe draws in at wide receiver there as well. Yeah, and, and it's very interesting. It's I, I find you make an NFL roster if you uh, have multiple positions that you can excel at. So I, I could see Duke Williams making it as a returner, as a wide receiver, and maybe even a special team's tit cover guy. Yeah. And uh, as... Whereas, whereas as a quarterback, just to take an example, you're only really a quarterback. You only have, in most cases, one spot on the quarterback depth chart to make it or the practice roster. Most teams have an established quarterback and an established backup. That, that's an excellent point there. Um you would know this probably better than I would because you're more versed in the NFL. 
how many teams uh, have the same guy doing kicking and punting duties, and how many uh, how many split it between two guys? Would you say? Oh boy, roughly, I would roughly. Oh, I think you're seeing more and more go away from the one guy doing both. Um, I would say less than a quarter of the NFL. Um, I would say less than a quarter of the NFL uh, has one day doing it. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to think of the games that I watched. Maybe one team, maybe, um, had one day doing both. I, but it's very, it's very you know, I'm just trying to think of like, teams that I watched, like Dallas, Green Bay, Seattle. Uh, Seattle, of course, had that uh, Titter hurt himself, the, so they have to, didn't have a Titter for a playoff game against right. Dallas, and it ended up costing the team. So most guys have two special teams, guys. Most teams. Uh, so this past season, we had uh, one CFL kicker go down to the NFL and uh, get a starting job there, and that was Brett Maher with the Dallas Cowboys. Correct? Yeah, and he. Uh, he beat uh, uh, Dan Bailey, who's now in uh, uh, Minnesota, uh, Minnesota, who was in Minnesota. Actually, now Dan Bailey is in Minnesota. Bailey went from Minnesota to uh, – so Bailey went from Dallas to Minnesota because he got his job beaten up by former Ottawa Red Black, Brett Maher. And you would not believe the number of people – whose eyebrows were raised when that happened. Well, there's another CFL guy that may be raising some eyebrows uh, at the same position, and that's Ty Long of the BC Lions. I believe he was their special teams player of the year nominee this year. Uh, did outstanding job kicking and punting for the Lions. Uh, and now he gets a shot in the uh, for NFL opportunities. So we'll see if for the second year in a row we can get a kicker. And let's not kid ourselves. I think there's going to be a third in rather short order. Who's that? Louis Ward. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I could definitely see that. Um, I'm not sure. I think he has one more year left in his uh, contract. I think he's got a two-year rookie contract. Um, but that being said, once... His contract is up. I would expect Louis would assuming he has another good year with I don't see why he wouldn't. But he would be that third kind of guy. Maybe second that is I'm not sure Tylon Stitz. Now my question is the Tylon is Tylon signed as a kicker or a punter or both? Oh, and that's why I was asking, right, about the ratio, uh, the number of teams that go with one guy doing both. Um continuing on the track here, um, you know, you see all these guys get NFL opportunities, and obviously you're excited for them because they've worked it for it, they've earned it. But at the same time, admittedly, you're a little sad because you're not going to see these guys in the CFL next year. And I think this next guy that uh, was released as we go through this chronologically is definitely one of those. That's Calgary Canadian linebacker Alex Singleton. Yeah, not a surprise. Uh, Singleton, to me, is one of those guys, and I, and I talked about... Two old guys. Like he did have it to make it on defense. He did have it to make it on special teams. So again, my bias part of it because I'm a Canadian 
because I'm a Canadian football fan and I see this guy play 16 games a year out of the 18 in some way, shape, or form, I would be very surprised to see how Singleton back in, in the CFL. I think he, he, out of most of the guys that you've mentioned that are signed, I think will be one of the guys to step now, in the NFL. Now, just to be clear here, not all of these guys, uh, at least that I'm aware of, have signed NFL deals. Uh, they've simply been released to pursue the opportunities to take part in yeah. sports, et cetera. Yeah. I know uh, Singleton has signed with Philadelphia. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Uh, uh, that's why I'm comfortable saying that. He signed uh, a couple weeks ago um, before one of their playoff games. So, yeah, I don't like Singleton to me with David to these multidimensional, like I've already said. Uh, uh, so, Edmonton loses uh, their top wide receiver in. Duke Williams, and they lose, well, at least for the second half of their season, the, their second best receiver. And I, some would argue that Darrell Walker is their second best receiver, but Bryant Mitchell gets an NFL opportunity. I, just looking at the way he played in the second half of the season, I would just would love to see what his numbers would have been if he played the full 18 games. You know, he didn't get in the lineup for whatever reason. Edmonton did didn't put him in the lineup despite how well he played in limited action the year before. Um, until injuries happened, they put Bryant Mitchell in and he absolutely exploded. And now he's got a shot to uh, play in the big league, basically, or so they call it. Bryant Mitchell is one of the weirdest things because they must have some video on Bryant Mitchell. Because as you recall, he had trouble getting in the, in the lineup. There were some people suggesting that Bryant Mitchell should have played every single game. And I am in that club, but Bryant Mitchell should have played more than he did. Well, yeah, he had like, so, 800, he had like 800 yards in the second half of the season. Yeah, you know, he ended up here. So extrapolate that. Granted, there were... Like, I'm just trying... I'm just left dumbfounded. And, and maybe I'm missing something that I don't see from afar. I'm dumbfounded how Bryant Mitchell is not in the starting lineup on in week one. Granted, they have Williams, uh, Darrell Walker, uh, who who is another guy? Uh, the Canadian there, the young guy. Uh, well, they had Kenny Stafford uh, was a big piece of their lineup there as well. They had a couple younger guys, uh, Nate Bahar. Uh, Bahar. The, so. Anyway, you're, I'm just dumbfounded how, and this is no knowledge in Kenny Stafford, I'm just dumbfounded how Mitchell didn't get a look ahead of Kenny Stafford. Granted you, don't, granted, you don't know what's coming in the second half of the year, right? His play was necessitated due to injuries, so maybe we shouldn't go on questioning the depth chart decisions of Edmonton, and they knew what they were doing, and... Mitchell wouldn't have had this big break all year if somebody else wouldn't have had an injury. But to me, Bryant Mitchell is a poster boy for whatever CFL player should do. So I just looked at the stats here while you were while you were talking about that a little bit. And granted, Kenny Stafford had a, a pretty solid season himself, put up almost 800 yards. But uh, Mitchell gets in for 10 games in 2018, puts up 867 yards. So clearly... You know, it's a small sample size, sure, but clearly uh, he's getting some looks uh, and thinks he has a shot to make it in the NFL. And uh, so he's released by the Eskimos to do so, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him potentially, you know, stick a spot. But here's the interesting thing. 
So you extrapolate that average to about 70 yards a game, give or take a few on either side. Bryant Mitchell waited for his opportunity. He made the most of his opportunity. He now did the NFL look. Yep. It's as simple as that, Ryan. Absolutely. Uh, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to mention names, but there's certain individuals on certain teams that refuse to wait for their turn until they think they're better than they actually are, and they end up getting released and causing problems and all the time. The Bryant Mitchell, among others, are a poster boy for the way you go about handling yourself professionally and the way you go about pursuing an NFL opportunity when it is granted. Uh, moving to the offensive line, Hamilton offensive lineman Riker Matthews gets a sh- uh, gets released for NFL tryouts. Um, you know what they say with the offensive line, Mike, is uh, the less you talk about them, the better they are at their job, right? I don't know if uh, on the podcast all season, and maybe it's just that we didn't cover the Ticats close enough, but I don't know if we mentioned Riker Matthews' name once. If you're no, not- and... And no, not even Riker. He's one of those guys where I kind of raised an eyebrow that he got NFL opportunities because I didn't really see him. But if I look at the video at Riker Matthews isolated, I think I can see the reason why. Well, and and that's just what I said, right? Is generally when you're watching a football game, uh, you know, we watch it. You, you don't really notice all the time when an individual offensive lineman is is having an outstanding game, right? Uh, you have to have a very fine eye. You really have to focus on that. Uh, unfortunately, they don't get the praise they deserve a lot of the times. A lot of the times it's, oh, quarterback got sacked. Okay, he's not playing. This guy is not doing his job and blocking uh, the incoming defender very well. But props to Riker Matthews. He had a solid season, and he's. Uh, I hope he gets a shot to uh, make it in the NFL. Uh, another guy who is potentially headed down south, is Saskatchewan wide receiver Jordan Williams-Lambert, who uh, was their nominee, I believe, for Rookie of the Year in 2018, and really tried to carry things on offense there for a while. Sure, the team struggled offensively, but Williams-Lambert was definitely a bright spot for them. Yeah, and it's interesting because remember there was a CFLPA... Uh, filed a grievance in his case because, you know, he has a two-year rookie deal but wasn't allowed to pursue NFL opportunities because CFL rookie deals are usually two to three years in length and how did he get a look one year in? So remember, there was a big settlement, but his rights for the next season are to be with Saskatchewan if he doesn't make it. Uh, so there was a there, there was a grievance in that, in that case and... I just looked at that and go, you just opened up a complete can of worms. Absolutely. Uh, That may almost round out our players headed, released for NFL opportunities here, Mike. I'm just scrolling through one more time, and I don't think, uh, unless I have missed some here so far, that we have any more. I may have missed some. I apologize if I do. Um, Of course, well... The other one, which I think we did talk about last time, was Bo Levi Mitchell, uh, who looks to be, based on reports this week, I believe it was Rod Peterson who had first met or had mentioned it that uh, Bo is looks like he could be coming very well coming back to the CFL this season. He hasn't gotten the uh, 
contract necessarily that he's looking for. Again, he wants to play, be an integral part of the team. Uh, he doesn't just want a practice roster spot or anything like that. Uh, so we could very well be seeing Bo Levi Mitchell back in the CFL, and you would have to imagine if that's the case back in uh, Calgary Red for the 2019 season. All the interesting thing is free agency the week away, and my question is how long is Bo Levi going to wait? Absolutely. Because he might put Calgary up against the clock. Honestly, though, it's Calgary. Do you... Like, let's say Bo Levi Mitchell does not come back. And I know we kind of visited this last month when we did our 2018 year in review. Um, mm-hmm. let, let's say he doesn't say he's coming back right away. Free agency comes around. Do you actually expect John Huffnagel to go out and spend on a big-priced quarterback? Or do you expect John Huffnagel to bring in guys we've probably never heard of before and turn them into an all-star? Like, this is what John Huffnagel does. He doesn't go make a splash. He finds the diamonds in the rough, and uh, all of a sudden, we one minute we're like, okay, I've never heard of this guy, and the next we're talking about him as a CFL All-Star. So, okay, I will play double advocate, and just so everybody knows, that's not because I'm disagreeing with Ryan. If he's developing an All-Star, then that would probably be suggesting along the lights of signing somebody of a lower statured quarterback or handing the reins to net Arbuckle. I that yeah. Probably. With Trevor with Trevor Harris and with uh, Mike Riley lurking around. Yeah, I, I don't think on I, I could not see Calgary going out and paying for one of those two guys. I just I just don't think that's what uh, John Huffnagel would do personally. To me, this this is what it comes down to. How much does Calgary trust Bo Levi Mitchell? Uh, I would imagine quite a bit. So, my question is then, and let's just play a hypothetical scenario, which could happen. CFL free agency is next Tuesday. What if Bo Levi Mitchell is waiting to see if the NFL offers get increased before signing? What if he doesn't want to sign prior to next Tuesday for fear of missing out on a bigger opportunity a day, a week, a month, whatever, down the line? This is just my opinion. I believe Bolivar Mitchell has earned the right to wait as long as possible. My other question is, why would Dave Dickinson say on Calgary Radio this past week or on the weekend, we need to know what Foley by Mitchell's intentions are so we can shape our plans around free agency. Is that, in your mind, and I'm paraphrasing Dave Dickinson's quote here, is that in your mind so they can shape the rest of the roster or that they can maybe let the quarterbacking option? I, I would say probably for shaping the rest of the roster, and I mean quarterback as well, right? Like, the difference between the salaries of a Levi Mitchell and Nick Arbuckle, pretty significant given the CFL salary cap, right? When you're looking at your starting quarterback. So yeah, it plays into the quarterback position. It plays into the entire roster, I think. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. Uh, but Mike, I want to move on to our next topic here uh, that we want to talk about, our next big topic. 
And that is the coaching roulette uh, in the CFL thus far this offseason. A lot of coaches have changed places. Uh, the introduction of the salary cap on non-player football operations uh, staff, uh, which looks to be uh, $2,588,000 for 2019 and 2020. Um, a lot of staff being cut to make room for that and a lot of coaches changing places. So I'm going to go through some of them here and then we can discuss them. Uh, let's start with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Talk about what they've done this offseason. Uh, June Jones steps down from the head coaching role uh, into just associate head coach and offensive coordinator with Orlando Steinauer becoming the head coach there. Um, do you like that move for Hamilton? I do. Um, I think to your team begins its foundation on having a solid coaching staff. That to me is logic A here. I'm wondering if June Jones saw the writing on the wall potentially, and I'm not going to say that June Jones's job was on the line, stuff like that. But as good as Hamilton's record has been, they played in a mediocre division. I think it'd be fair to summarize sum the East division. I don't. I wouldn't say it's a horrible division. I'll just say mediocre. June Jones' coaching record in the CFL is not as good as one would think, given the fact that Hamilton's always been near the top of the standings. I think last I checked, it's somewhere between four or five, or somewhere in that neighborhood, games above 500. But if you have an opportunity to upgrade your coaching staff and make yourself better as a unit, by all means, you're going to pursue that avenue. So the full coaching staff for Hamilton for 2019, as was announced uh, midway through January, head coach Orlando, Orlando Steinauer, uh, associate head coach and offensive coordinator June Jones, Defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach is Mark Washington coming over from BC. Uh, they also get uh, coming back from BC special teams coordinator Jeff Reinbold. Uh, other notable, uh, so those are the big ones. Uh, other notable wide receiver coach Tommy Condell. Um, overall, I think this is a pretty strong coaching staff that Hamilton has in place here. I want to see what the Bombers' final coaching staff looks like, even though I think I know what it looks like. But on paper, I would say Hamilton has the top two coaching staff in the lead as far as on paper uh, uh, attributes, um, skill set, experience, uh, positional knowledge, if that makes any sense. And I'm shocked that of all the names you mentioned, they were able to get that under the coaching's salary cap. Yeah, no kidding, hey? Um, um, because you're looking at Tommy Condell, just for instance, yeah. former offensive coordinator in Hamilton. You're looking at June Jones, a head coach. Oh, head coach has made a fair bit of money. And, and let's be frank, I don't think the tie Cats get Orlando Steinhauer out of NCAA football to come back to Hamilton without a fairly sizable salary. Right. So so how that all works, we have yet to see. And the other dynamic in this is, are there going to be any teams 
But we're going to find out about a year from now or after the season or in season or however they're going to do that. Are there any teams that went over the coach's salary cap just like every single year there's a team or two, maybe, that goes over the player's salary cap? Yeah. Begs me to ask the question if there's an executive out there that says, screw the salary cap, we'll pay the repercussions because we think it's dumb. Uh, moving on to the Toronto Argonauts, uh, they haven't announced their full coaching staff yet, I believe, but they have named a new head coach as Mark Tressman was let go after this season, and that is Corey Chamberlain. Uh, Chamberlain was their defensive coordinator for the Grey Cup win in 2017, correct? Yep, and he did another lot. His uh, Sutton head coaching did in the CFL, former coach of the Riders. Uh, I like this move as Corey Chamberlain as head coach. You know, that I think was part of the strength of that team that won the Great Cup is they made some key defensive plays in that one. Uh, mm-hmm. Their defense really struggled this past season. Offensively, they struggled as well. Uh, I don't know. I like I like the fit for Corey Chamberlain as head coach. Uh, do you agree with me? No, I like the fit given the circumstances for sure. Uh, was there a better option out there, do you think, that they should have gone with? I don't know, because remember, they made the mandate that whoever the coach was had to keep most of this coaching staff intact. Right. So that right away chased away Paul Apolis, that right away chased away Devon Playbrooks, who ended up getting the job in BC. I think under the circumstances, they got a better coach than one could have bargained for. Um. So you think so? Going back to what you said a bit ago, you said Hamilton has the uh, one of the top two coaching staffs in the CFL. I think BC may have put together a pretty strong one here. Uh, not necessarily, maybe not necessarily in terms of coaching prowess, but in terms of big names that we all recognize here. Uh, yeah, but here, here's the thing, Ryan, and I'm not disputing what you're about to say with BC. My thing is, when it comes down to it, are those guys experienced enough in-game? Now, Devon Claybrook, okay, I think he's ready for a head coaching job. He has been. He's just been looking for the right fit. It's the rest of those guys. Can they uh, assimilate themselves, acclimatize themselves, quit to the coaching range? Yeah. And that's the question, right? As you look at some of these guys that are uh, joining the staff. Okay, so you have, well, you have Devon Quaybrooks, his first time as a head coach. He, uh, defensive coordinator for the Calgary Stampeders, did an outstanding job, and it was only a matter of time before he did get a head coaching gig. Uh, so he comes over to BC. Uh, what better way to for a new head coach to have some experience helping him out than the ageless wonder himself, Rich Stubler, taking over as defensive coordinator and linebackers coach. Uh, he was with the Montreal Alouettes this past season, which uh, for a lot of the season, their defense wasn't necessarily the greatest, but they did tighten things up near the end of the year. And uh, Rich Stubler has been in this league for a very long time. Uh, at offensive coordinator, Jarius Jackson, who I believe was the offensive coordinator last year, uh, is yeah. brought back for another year. What was it, Kahari Jones? I can't remember. No, Kahari Jones, I think, is in Montreal. Oh, in Montreal. Right, 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 right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, special teams coordinator, you got Taylor Altilio. Um, 
And then getting into some of the positional coaches, here's some guys you'll probably recognize. Uh, defensive backs coach Ryan Phillips uh, spent a long time with the BC Lions, as far as I can remember, uh, as a defensive back. Defensive line coach Chris Ellis, offensive line coach Brian Chu. Uh, quarterbacks coach, the recently unretired and then re-retired Drew Tate. Uh, came out of retirement to play for the Riders near the end of the year, but uh, announced his retirement and joined the coaching staff here in BC a day later. Special teams and offensive assistant, Keith Stokes. And then running backs coach, Nick Lewis. Wide, rec- Inter- wide receiver, slot back, Nick Lewis takes over as the running backs coach. Uh, the same thing as uh, when I'm not, is Buck Pierce the quarterback coach or is he still the running backs coach for the uh, Bombers? Because I know when he started, he was the running back coach. Uh, yeah. What's with these different position players uh, taking on that role? I, I think, and I heard an interview with Nick Lewis, because I knew you were going to bring that up, because uh, I still do listen to that writer radio show every day. Uh, they had Nick Lewis on about a week and a half ago, and that question came up. And he said, I wanted a position, and I'm paraphrasing, that gives me the best chance to move up in the coaching ranks and learn. That's a great way to put it, I think. So, so if you're a receiver, Nick Lewis knows everything about being a receiver. But if you want to be a well-rounded coach, give yourself a challenge and learn a position that you haven't necessarily learned. Now, granted, he can take a lot of his wide receiver uh, coaching experience and use it to help running bats run routes and time routes. See? Man, I don't think there's that much of a difference between a running back coach and a receiver's coach and an offensive quality control coach. At the end of the day, they all work together, and I really just believe that it's all about titles, really. A uh, couple casualties of the salary, uh, the new salary cap on uh, coaching football operations staff. Montreal let some of their guys go uh, the same day it was announced. Defensive backs coach Billy Parker, wide receiver coach Jason Tucker, uh, assistant offensive line coach Chris Mosley, defensive assistant coach Chris Dishman, draft coordinator and national scout Eric Delorier, and director of college scouting Russell Ande uh, all let go based on that. Um, not based on the salary cap, Edmonton parting ways with defensive coordinator Mike Benavides. I think we both saw that coming this offseason, correct? Yeah, um, somebody had to go in that whole. I think the Eskimos were in a situation where it was too many cooks in the kitchen. Absolutely. I found something else to potentially add later on for Ardenot's coaches. All right. Did you want to say it now? Yeah, it sounds like uh, Josh Shopelain will be the offensive coordinator in Toronto. Right. Yes, I was reading that earlier today as well. So that's an interesting add there. Um, for the Edmonton Eskimos, uh, so they get rid of Mike Benavides. They did announce their coaching staff. Uh, Jason Moss coming back as head coach. Jordan Maximit is the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach again. They get Phil Lawley as their defensive coordinator, who I believe was the defensive coordinator for a bit in Hamilton. Yeah. Temporarily before uh, Jerry Glanville, who, by the way, is stepping away from the CFL this season. Uh, for personal reasons, uh, special teams coordinator AJ Gass and uh, other notables uh, for Edmonton, uh, Jason Tucker, 
a longtime receiver for them is the new wide receiver. Oh, man. I remember Jason Tucker watching him. Oh, growing up. And uh, defensive backs coach Baron Miles. Uh, so a couple notable guys there for Edmonton. Uh, just moving on again, a lot of news over the past couple months to talk about in regards to the CFL. Uh, we talk about all these names changing places. Um, and then you have the Ottawa Red Blacks who are bringing back their entire coaching staff, every single member of their coaching and football operations staff, uh, from 2018 will be back in 2019. That's pre-planning for sure with the coaches cap coming in absolutely i didn't you know i didn't even think about it that way i thought okay you know these guys just really believe in everybody they have here but uh, not only did they do that they managed to keep it under the uh, under the cap as well as far as we know as far as we know um cycling through things some more here uh anthony calvillo had a couple different coaching roles with first the montreal alouettes and then i believe the toronto argonauts uh he's stepping away from the cfl to join the university of montreal caravans uh coaching staff uh with the yes former cfl head coach danny machocha uh as the leading that team and uh ac is joining them yeah, if you can't beat them, join them, right? <laughs> it's one way to look at it. Um, We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Chris Jones. Oh, I'm getting to that yet, Mike. <laughs> okay, it's like a, a slow build-up here. Yeah, I'm setting that up for the final big bang here. Um, so stay tuned for that little teaser. Um we talked about Hamilton having the very strong coaching staff. They also bring in uh, Jim Barker as a football operations consultant to help them out in that regard. So no Jim Barker on the CFL panel this year as he will be helping out the Ticats. Uh, and of course, they also uh, announced that general manager Eric Tillman will not be back in 2019. And there's a lot of reports out there with the new Atlantic team coming in in a couple of years that uh, he will take on a big role with that team. And is expected to make Kevin Bland the first overall pick in the Atlanta Tuners draft. Do it. I want that to happen so badly. That that's that's the dream, right there. I don't think there's any other dream that's necessary. Nope, just keep Kevin Glenn upright and healthy till then. Absolutely. Uh, Montreal loses Rich Stubler to BC. Uh, they named a new defensive coordinator in late January. It's Bob Slowick, who, did I read correctly, uh, Has is another guy that has no CFL experience? Correct. Uh, so, Coach Sherman, uh, I guess, wants... Wants to keep building the rest of his coaching staff that way. Do you agree with that move? Do you think they should have gotten a guy with with experience in the CFL? My question is, who would go there? That's a that's a valid question. I mean, to me, and this is no not in Montreal, but I, I think you look at all your available options before you start looking outside. I would agree with you. I- and. To me, it seems concerning, but and I'm not saying Montreal didn't do their homework, but to me, it's just a little bit of a concern that nobody really wants to coach there. Now, before we, then, get, 
Now, before we get into the big topic that Mike just teased a little bit ago, uh, really the biggest topic to talk about in terms of CFL coaching, um, another one that probably stings a little bit for Edmonton Eskimos fans, uh, linebacker J.C. Sherritt retiring after eight seasons on January 16th. Uh, Big surprise to a lot of people in Edmonton. You know, he had the big injury for a year or two, came back, had a strong season last year, and uh, all of a sudden decided to retire and walk away. And, oh boy, only a week or two later, uh, he's now signed on with the Calgary Stampeders as their linebackers coach. Nothing like crossing enemy lines, right? Well, I think you know where the opportunity is. I think Edmonton had their coaching staff set up. It was just a situation where Calgary was looking for an eye, had a reminder of their coaching, coach's cap, and it's just that simple. All right, Mike, uh, go ahead, take this one away. The guy you want to talk about, the situation you want to talk about, Saskatchewan Rough Riders um, coaching football operations situation. Lead us off here. Well, uh, Chris Jones darts for the NFL a week after the Cleveland Browns, by the way, as a defensive specialist. A defensive, a defensive consultant, I think was the title they gave him. A defensive consultant, something like that. I don't have the title in front of me. But this came a week after he signed a one-year contract extension with the Riders. To our knowledge, that cannot come off the coach's cap. So, again, but those that suggest that Chris Jones screwed the Riders over, I think it's far, far, far mistaken. Um, I looked at this as an upgrade for Chris Jones. Uh, he is an American. He's from the South. He, every U.S. born coach, I think if you're high school, I think if you're to a certain extent college, but mostly high school, well, put yourself in a situation where you are in the best position to make it to the NFL. I think that is the ultimate goal for 95% of the coaching fraternity in the U.S. And I don't go along with the notion that a CFL coaching cap was the big reason that Chris Jones left. I think he felt like he had his opportunity. You know, he won a great cup. He... You know, he rebuilt the team basically from scratch to be competitive within two years or three years, however long he was with the Riders. And I think it did the situation of Chris Jones had a long-time dream to be a coach in the National Football League, as would any other coach. And I think he saw this as an opportunity where he can be a part of an up-and-coming team. And let's be frank, the Cleveland Browns have not been good of late. But this year they took some significant strides to be a contending football team. And I will make this prediction right here, right now. The Cleveland Browns will make the NFL playoff next year. Are they wild card or the division winner? They came close this year. But the fact of the matter is, aside from... Cleveland Browns problems. Chris Jones has always wanted to be in the NFL. He has that opportunity in front of him. Why would he not take that? No, absolutely. And, and I, you know, 
round of applause, Chris Jones. He did a great job uh, here in the CFL. You know, with the Eskimos, he led them to that championship in 2015. Comes over to Saskatchewan uh, in a couple of years, turns the team around. Yeah, it might have been dark and gloomy for the first little bit of the Chris Jones era. Uh, but he quickly built one of, if not the best defense in the CFL. Uh, had some offensive struggles this year, but that team was looking like a very strong football team, and that's what he's known to do. He builds a strong defense that's going to cause you nightmares, and I'm interested to see what he does with the Cleveland Browns. Um, the interesting thing for me is the timing of everything. You did mention, you know, a couple days earlier, I think it was, uh, yeah, just three days earlier, or three or four days, whatever, that... Uh, Chris Jones has announced that he has this extension uh, with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And supposedly, as part of that, he also went and signed his whole coaching staff. Uh, there are reports to new two-year contracts, um, which do fall under the CFL's new salary cap on coaching staffs. And now they're looking for a new guy to fill the role, and he can't even fully sign his own staff because if he lets any of these guys go they still count towards cap for the next two years yeah but i'm still not on the mindset but the coaching tap was the main reason he left for the nfl no i don't think it was i just think that you know he kind of forced the hand of you know potential candidates to take over the job or uh, of you know new general manager jeremy o'day who took over the role uh, of gm and vice president of football operations because you're trying to go in and bring in a new coach, but the same thing you said about Toronto earlier is, well, if I can't go and get my the coaching staff I want, maybe I don't want the job, and uh, that might be a little hard to do. And the cap in place, uh, you have all of these guys under contract already that you can't replace with the guys you want. Trust me, Ryan, Saskatchewan will be just fine with the dialer named head coach. Absolutely, and that was... Craig Dickinson. Craig Dickinson, special teams coordinator... Um, very deserving of the job, I would say. Saskatchewan special teams has been very good the last couple of years. Uh, they always seem to have the dangerous return guy. Uh, and, and he will maintain his special teams coach uh, uh, duties. Right, yes. Uh, so I, I like the fit there for him. Um, I'm glad he gets the job here. I'm interested to see the Dickinson versus Dickinson matchups. Uh, <laughs> I think, to be honest with you, and this goes back to what I said earlier, I, I really believe that Craig Dickinson was the name that not a lot of people were mentioning when it came to head coach opening, but he should have been mentioned. Um, so Jeremy O'Day uh, fills the VP operation, football operations general manager role that Chris Jones had. Uh, head coach is taken over by Craig Dickinson. Do we know who the defensive coordinator is yet for uh, Saskatchewan? Chris Jones filled that role as well. Yeah, I don't think they've named anybody to that role yet. They were looking last I checked. So we'll we'll stay tuned as well. And, uh, of course, uh, as an assistant head coach to Craig Dickinson, you also still have Stephen McAdoo, the offensive coordinator last year for Saskatchewan, which uh, maybe didn't so great uh, offensively, but... Uh, he does have some experience there to help Dickinson out. On one, on one sports team, Ryan, and you've been a part of sports teams. There's always one weapon, boy. <laughs> That's true. And, 
And for Saskatchewan, it just happened to be Stephen Matadu. And it says for the Bombers fans, it's been Richie Hall, right? Right, so then, and then for BC, for the longest time, it was, as I recall, for a time, their defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator. Basically, whatever coach's position is not performing, he's the weapon boy for that kind of period. For Montreal, it's uh, whatever the coach of the day is. Because <laughs> it changes so often, but yeah, yeah, I, I get what you mean there. And uh, so a lot of uh, sum it all up: a lot of coaches changing places, a lot of coaches being let go. Uh, which team do you? So you think Hamilton is one of the two teams that's best off at the coaching position? Um, who was the other one? I think it's Winnipeg. I really do. I mean, you you don't hear about. You know, coaching changes in Winnipeg or coaches being fired. Uh, Not anymore. They used to be uh, all every day. Right. But Michael Shea, uh, the final oil machine, uh, Kyle Walters, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, said a while back the coaches cap is zero concern. So I, I think it really didn't come down to who to keep their team the most intact. And, and if you look at it, there was a stat that I saw couple days ago, somebody tweeted it out on one of the CFL accounts. Uh, free agency percentage of free agents that were retained by their own team. The Bombers are, in the, are the top team. Maybe top two as far as percentage of their own free agents that they were to retain. Yeah. And I think, I think that just beats volumes to what they're building in Winnipeg. And I'm curious who they're going to bring in next Tuesday morning. And I wouldn't be the least bit shot, um, because it sounds like, to, to, to touch on the Bombers here real fast, doesn't sound like uh, Taylor Loeffler is going to be back. Also doesn't sound like um, that uh, D. Lyman, what was his name there? Uh, oh, shoot, his name escapes me. He had that big red, oh, Paludo. Ah. Doesn't sound like he's gonna be bad either. So, but again, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, the Michael Shea, Andrew Harris, Matt Nichols, those ton of guys, are out recruiting to potential free agents already. Oh, I'm sure they. I, I'm sure that they will be able to bring in uh, quite a few guys. Uh, I think Winnipeg's a place people want to play. Uh, just to round up the coaching thing, so you think Hamilton and Winnipeg uh, have the top two coaching staffs? And sure, yeah, I, I, I can see that. I would agree with you. I think they have very strong staffs there. Uh, my question for you is, uh, the flip side, which team in the CFL are you most concerned about? It's Toronto. I, 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 I don't like the ownership mindset that, oh, you can come in but you tamper in your own guys in. If that's the case, you fired your head coach way too late before the salary cap situation came in. Because I think if I'm a coach and I want to go somewhere, it's kind of like if I'm working my average daily job and I get a chance at a higher paid position, let's just say I'm a, I'm a, this might be a horrible example because I'm thinking of it on the fly, but I might be a sales associate for whatever reason, right? At said store. 
I get up to a manager position or a senior management position. Chances are the first thing I'm going to ask my new boss is, how many of my own guys that I trust can I bring in? Right. And if that person says zero, chances are I'm not taking direction or running a bunch of people that I don't know, that I don't feel comfortable with, but are still at the end of the day, then I have to adhere to my scheming and my game planning and my vision. That's not going to sit well. And if I'm going to implement my vision, I want to bring in my people to be able to execute my vision because I believe I have the people that did it done. That's a good analogy, Mike. Oh. And then the same thing goes to hockey, right? General manager gets fired. He wants to bring in his own coach. The own coach wants to bring in his own assistants. It's no different here. Absolutely. Uh, you, you know, one, one of the teams that uh, at the coaching position, you know, I would have maybe thrown at the bottom uh, most concerned about is Montreal just because they bring in another guy who doesn't really know the CFL, it seems. Um, but, you know, I will say this. I don't know still if Mike Sherman is set to qualify you know, has the qualities he needs and the understanding of the CFL game he needs to be a successful head coach here. But I applaud Montreal just for the fact that they have the same head coach coming into next year. And I hope Mike Sherman sticks around for the year after because that's what we've been preaching all along is that Montreal needs to find consistency at the coaching position, at the quarterback position. Uh, for the first time in a long time, I think we can say they've done both of that. Uh, coming into 2019, and I think it's good for them. Look at what consistency and coaching staff has done for the Bombers the last two years. Yep. My only concern is um, last year may have been a free spot on the bingo card for Mike Sherman, granted talent level and all that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you what, the Avengers turned up 25 degrees <laughs> this year. I don't know how that relates to the bingo card. Do you do you put your bingo cards in the oven before you play, Mike? Or <laughs> no, no. But you get what I'm saying. He had a free yeah. year to to figure things out. They weren't all that talented. No offense to Montreal, but I think a lot of our wet fans will agree with that. Management may not, but the management thinks that they've always assembled the championship team. At least that's what they tell the media, anyway. And then they tell people like me in the media, but we believe we have a championship caliber team. But that being said, expectations begin to rise now. Because I, I think that Mike Sherman was closer to losing his job than is led to believe. That's a great way to put it, Mike. Um, we don't have time on today's episode to preview free agency fully, so I know we discussed this a little bit beforehand. I think we'll be back with another episode early next week. What do you say about that, Mike? Uh, yeah. I, to talk a little bit of the early free agency stuff. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. All right. Anything you want to say before we wrap this show up here? Uh, we talked a lot about uh, NFL tryouts, uh, coaches, uh, anything else on those matters, minute or so you want to mention? Well, I'm, I'm just curious to see uh, actually two things, if you don't mind. Go for it. I want to see the quality of this Amer Alliance of American football. You can be best assured that I'm going to be watching at least one game a week. 
they're on NFL Network for those that have it on their satellite dish. And this week's two games, actually, are the regional games. Uh, the opening two games of the Alliance of American Football, they're on CBS, and they just had the Super Bowl yesterday. So I just want to see what the quality of football is. And I would encourage people, whether you are CFL fans or whether you are just a general football fan, to watch that lead and some of the new rules that they're bringing in. So, for instance, there's no kickoff. Oh. Uh, you you must attempt the two-point convert after every touchdown. And to re- the, the, the onside kick is a play from scrimmage at the 35-yard line that must go more than 12 yards. To that that's the version of the onside kick. So wait, like a passing play? If you if you complete a pass for more than 12 yards, a play for more a play from scrimmage from 12 yards. So if you pass or run for 12 yards, you get the ball back instead of kickoff. Right. So they basically removed the kickoff. There's no television media timeouts uh, at all. They their hope is to expedite the game into two and a half hours. Well, I'm interested to see. I might just have to check this out as well, Mike. It, it's going to be. I'm not around on Saturday, but I can be. you can be best assured that it is going on my PVR. Uh, was there a second thing you wanted to mention yet, or was uh, did that fill it all in? The second, thing I, the second thing I have is I wouldn't be surprised if in the next three to five years that the CFL coaching staff uh, coaches salary cap either the tap gets bumped up or it completely removes itself. Because I'm not liking what I'm hearing with, oh, we can't get coaches to coach because of our coaches' salary cap. And I would hate to be the one that implemented a coach's salary cap and that has some little part to do with why Chris Jones left for the NFL. Right. Because if that's the case... Uh oh, you're not really. I understand. I'm all for advancement and all that stuff, but you're just giving incentive for coaches to go to the Alliance of American Football or go to the NFL. And maybe that's the goal. I don't know. But for me, this coach's salary cap is different. No other league, to my knowledge, in North America has it. I just don't know if it works. I understand this. New CFL version 2.0, when we can talk about it next week, because uh, I think that's something else we want to talk about. But I just cannot see this coach coach's salary cap under this um, under this current format working, unless they've assured the the CEOs and managers and all these upper higher ups in CFL. But there's a certain percentage increase every year. Because to me, it sounds like, oh, the whole thing was brought in because the team, and I hate to point them out, but a team like Saskatchewan can spend unlimited money to bring in whatever coaches they want. And a team like Toronto, who may or may not have a lot of money, can only bring in so much because they can only afford so much for coaches. If that's the reason, okay. But if it's any other reason, I don't know if this is going to fly. 
My final thoughts to wrap things up is on the uh, NFL tryouts. Uh, best of luck to all the CFL players getting a shot down south. I uh, hope you are able to land the job down there. And of course, if things doesn't don't pan out, I'm sure we'd all love to see you back in the CFL. Um, that does it for today's episode of the Canadian Football Countdown. Again, we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Check out all of the great CF Pod Network shows, including the new members, Mouchoir Podcast and Wood Cookie Sawcast. Um, Ottawa Red Blacks coverage from those two guys. Uh, check it out at cfpodnetwork.ca and at cfpodnetwork on Twitter. Speaking of Twitter, you can find us on there at CFC on Mike FM. Uh, is the podcast account, and then, of course, our own accounts. Uh, you can find me at CooperTrooper42. Uh, you'll see a lot of tweets there weekly uh, about the CFL 500K, uh, which Steve from the Piffles podcast uh, was one of the members who started that off walking slash running 500 kilometers uh, in 2019. So I'm taking part in that and updating that weekly. And uh, where can we find you on Twitter, Mike? Uh, you can find me at my Daryl in between a lot of local hockey uh, stories and, uh, of course, the Western Hockey League now here in Winnipeg. So I'll be covering that quite extensively. Uh, like us on Facebook as well. We're there as well. Uh, join the new Canadian Football Podcast Network Facebook group if you haven't done so. That was uh, recently created this week so or the week before. So join that as well. Get in on some CFL discussion there. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk about free agency, as, of course, that is just around the corner. Next Tuesday, just over a week from today as we're recording this Monday night, and looking forward to see how everything shakes down with all of that. Uh, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, uh, subscribe to us on all the podcast platforms, and uh, let us know how we did, let us know what we can improve as we chug along through the off season here. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. This has been the Canadian Football Countdown, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.